Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast. I'm Deborah Prinzing, and this is episode 580. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Grow Flowers. Farm Grow Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. Our next thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms, large and small, around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. This week, we meet another inspiring Slow Flowers member, a farmer florist whose Fernley, Nevada enterprise is inspiring, considering some of the challenging growing conditions there. Tricia Starkey, owner of Petals and Pages, is farming in her fourth season. Her farm is situated 35 miles outside of Reno at 4,500 feet elevation. We'll start out this episode with a 30-minute narrated tour that Trisha filmed for us. She introduces us to important infrastructure features, discusses her watering and growing practices, and shows off some late-season flowers. Petals and Pages is located in USDA Zone 7B8A, and surprisingly, the area hasn't yet been hit by frost at the time of this interview. Here's a bit more about Trisha Starkey and her farm. Petals and Pages is a certified, naturally grown family farm dedicated to growing unique flowers. It is also a design studio and floral experience for couples who seek authentic, one-of-a-kind designs that help celebrate their special day. Trisha's story is long and relatable, and you'll want to read her personal narrative, which I've shared in our podcast show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 580. I'll also share her social places so you can find and follow Petals and Pages. Let's jump right in and get started. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Petals and Pages Flower Farm um, tour and interview with Slow Flowers uh, with Deborah Princine. I am Patricia Starkey. I am the owner, the farmer, and the florist at Petals and Pages Flower Farm. So before we go and take a look at the farm, I'm going to give you just a little bit of an idea of where we're located. So we are in northern Nevada in a little tiny town or community of Fernley, Nevada, which is about 35 miles east of Reno. So we are not in Las Vegas, although we have similar um, climate patterns as Vegas, we are much cooler and we do have a full four seasons rather than just hot and cold like Las Vegas. Um, so we are growing in 7A, I'm sorry, 7B, 8A um, growing zone. We're at 4,500 feet in the air, so we're pretty high, definitely high desert. On average, we get about 10 inches of rain a year and anywhere between 8 and 12 inches of snow. That's for an entire annual year. Um, because we are the desert, we get most of our precipitation all at once. Um, we can frequently go months without precipitation uh, in the form of snow and or rain. So um, we are definitely farming in desert, really desert um, environments. So we frequently have winds anywhere between 
35 and 65 miles per hour. It's generally in our springtime um, and can last for days at a time, even weeks at a time. So um, we have that added challenge of growing with uh, Mother Nature's wind um, experiences too. So that's kind of wild. Um, for our temperatures in our winter time, we usually are anywhere between low digits. So, you know, five, six degrees um, Fahrenheit. Um, we can fluctuate in January. Sometimes we get 70 degree days. It's kind of a weird month for us in the winter time, but our overnight temperatures usually dip around um, five, maybe 10 degrees. Um, and we have hard, hard frosts for long periods of time. Um, and then in the summertime, we can go all the way up to like 100 degrees, 105, 110 degrees. So it really um, is quite wild. Our nighttime temperatures in summer usually don't dip below 80 degrees. So we can bounce between um, 80 in the night and 110 in the daytime. So um, very wild swings of temperatures, very hot, very dry. Um, our humidity usually bounces between 10 and 25% of humidity all year long. Uh, so very arid and very dry. Um, part of Petals and Pages Flower Farm. Again, we are located in Fernley, Nevada. We are growing on about um, a quarter of an acre in total. Our land is an acre, 1.15 uh, acres. We do have the capability of scaling probably triple the size that we are currently. Um, I'm walking back towards the barn and the flower area, but I'd like to show you this area. It's our first year peonies. There are only th uh, 30 there. We are going to implement a whole entire row, um, actually two rows of peonies this coming year. Here is part of our rose, garden rose growing area. A pest, that's a squirrel that has loved to dig a hole in our flowers. There's some flowers here. Um, these are three-year roses. Um, they're not incredibly big, but we actually don't grow our roses for sale. Um, I take the petals off of them and use the petals for other things, um, drying them and what have you. So we're heading to the um, back of the property. This is where our barn is located. Um, this is our wash station. Uh, my husband built this last year out of reused wood. Last year we were, um, that basin right here for the water was on uh, the ground. And so bending over was really hard on our back. So he raised it up for us. And that's our wash station and our barn, our tack room, and... Here we are with our animals. So you can see right there, that's Blondie, our goat. We have a total of three goats. Right there are our two um, bachelors. We've got two male ducks. Um, the one in the back who's laying down right now, I rescued, he was five days old when he came to me. And um, the one standing up is Reggie and he, um, came to us as a rescue as well, although he was fully grown. That is Blondie. She's a rescue as well. The gal who is laying down over there in the background, that's Bianca. And then the big guy, who you can hardly see, he's laying down, the white guy. He is Gary, and he's a big guy. Him and I don't... Um, get along so well, but we use their manure for our compost, um, which we do all of our compost here on site. I'll show you that here in just a minute. Um, but I would like to note too that the goats, um, they naturally are animals that will rip off bark on um, sticks and branches that have fallen. And so part of their food, aside from alfalfa, is that big pile of sticks right next to Bianca that you see. Um, those are fallen branches, or um, if we've pruned our trees, we bring it back here and they rip off the bark and they eat the bark. And then all of the bare sticks that are left, we then put into our wood chipper and lay onto our walking paths, which you see here. Um, so it's a full circle there. 
we then use their manure for our compost, which brings me to our compost bins. We have a total of eight compost bins. Um, this is the back four. We have named them by female names. Um, Annie, Betty, Cindy, and the back one over there. Um, she doesn't have a name because she was added on last year, but she'll be a D name for sure. <laughs> uh, so the compost system that we have here is all the green material goes into the first bin in Annie. The green material meaning um, cut down plant material from the flowers, um, any freshly chipped wood chips, any grass clippings from our friends. Um, and then any manure from our animals, both goat and chicken, goes in here. We then cover it, water it, and once it reaches a certain temperature, we flip it over into Betty. And as it begins to heat up and break down, we then flip it into Cindy. By the time it's in Cindy, it's pretty well broken down, very small pieces of um, compost. And then our final product is here. We keep them covered because um, they will dry out if they are not covered. Well, darn it, I can't get it to stay. There we go. Let's take a peek here. There is our beautiful compost. My husband does this part of the business. Um, I just don't have the time to do this, but I definitely need the compost. So um, this is freshly broken down compost that is ready to go onto our beds. Um, this whole entire process of compost breaking down takes a few months, depending on the time of the year. So in the summer, our outside temperatures are so much warmer that they break down much faster. In the winter time, it takes probably the entire winter to get a full um, yard or two yards of compost. That right there in the finished compost bin is probably a yard and a half worth of compost. So this is our biochar. Biochar we implement into our uh, compost, which then we put onto our flower beds. Um, biochar is an amendment that um, has recently shown really, really fantastic benefits to soil um, in the sense of water retention. It holds water, it also holds minerals. So if you have minerals in your compost or if you're spraying uh, weed tea, compost tea, uh, if you're adding beneficial nematodes, they have a place to um, rest and house themselves and it also holds on to the material really well. So biochar is just wood, like the sticks and branches that you saw in the goat's pin, um, that you burn in a contained area um, and at a high temperature with very little oxygen and it turns into this... Um, charcoal essentially like you can take this stuff if I rub my hand you see my hands all full of charcoal um, this is the charcoal that you could use to like um, do art projects but we then break that up into the compost you can see how porous it is uh, you break that up into the compost and it holds the water and the microbes and the beneficials um, and it just makes a really fantastic amendment for soil um, and our flowers. So before I take you into the flower area, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about our growing practices. Um, let's start with no-till. You saw the tiller. We got a tiller gifted to us many years ago by um, my brother-in-law and um, Generally speaking, most people think that farming, you have to till. And in some cases, tilling is necessary for sure. Uh, we do not till on our farm at all. So we are a no-till or a low-till farm. Um, no-till meanings that there is no disturbance of the soil. Well, unfortunately in farming, there has to be a little bit of disturbance of the soil. Uh, whether you're cutting out roots or you're putting air into the soil, there is some sort of disturbance. But what we um, strive not to do is kill the biology and the microorganisms um, and beneficial bugs in the soil. So tilling or turning over your soil can kill a lot of those bugs and beneficials. And so we do not do that on our farm. We do use a broad fork um, when we 
um, go from one crop to another crop in our bends, uh, but it's very, very light. We don't um, completely pull up the surface of the soil. So we are a no-till or a low-till farm. Um, we are chemical free, so we don't spray any chemicals onto our farm. We do not use neem oil, uh, which is somewhat controversial, but can be approved for organic practices. We have used neem oil in the past. What we found is it didn't really, it didn't really help as much as we thought it would. And we really wanted to focus on more soil health management um, practices rather than the mindset of killing, <laughs> uh, even if they're bad pests. So what we have done in place of that is we introduce predatory bugs. Um, and so if we have an onset of pest, um, pests that are out of our control or that are destroying our crops, we will buy in predatory bugs like your assassin bugs, like your um, minute parrot bugs, or your green lacewing bugs. And those kind of feast on all of the yucky bugs like thrips and aphids. We don't have a ton of aphids here because we are such an arid climate, but we do have thrips. Um, we also have gra grasshoppers that love to feast on the tiny, delicate petals of flowers. So um, anyways, we do not spray chemicals. So all of our flowers are safe for you to um, touch and stuff your face in, and if they're edible, to eat them as well. Um, let's see. Oh, we also have implemented um, trying to um, entice natural predators onto our farm. So my husband has built um, little bird houses all along the property to um, hopefully um, bring the mama birds in to lay their baby birds there and their eggs there. You can hear the ducks in the background. They're walking around. Anyways, um, so we definitely try to entice birds, natural predators to come in and eat the grasshoppers and eat all of the um, pests that we can't manage with um, the predatory bugs. So that's something that we have tried to implement. We also leave piles of sticks and branches uh, so that those birds, uh, whether they're quail or finches, they have other homes to um, have over the winter time as well. Um, as you saw, we have goats. We also have chickens. Um, they're up at the front property of the house and we use their manure to incorporate into our compost. Um, that helps warm up the compost so that it breaks down faster and it also puts soil biology and um, fungi into our um, soils and our compost. Um, we do uses of compost tea and weed tea. So we take some of our freshly done compost and we let it sit in water um, for weeks at a time. In the winter time, it could be months at a time. And after so many weeks or months, it turns into this really great um, tea that we put into a sprayer and we spray onto our plants for either a foliar spray or a soil drench. And what that does is it um, breaks down minerals in the plant material and the compost material, and it puts minerals into the soil underneath our plants. And then if we do a foliar spray, it puts the minerals and the good bacteria onto the um, undersides of the leaves and the tops of the leaves so that the plants can eat essentially. It's kind of like a fertilizer. Um, we also make our own compost, which you just saw. Um, I just showed you all the compost that we have. Um, we have a total of four. No, I'm sorry, eight compost bins. I showed you four of them. We have the same exact thing, just duplicated at the front part of our property. Um, a really exciting thing that we just had happen this um, year is that we are certified naturally grown. And so what that means is that um, I have all sorts of animals walking around me. So sorry if I'm slightly distracted. I've got my ducks and my dogs and my goats all kind of circling me. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, so we've been um, recently certified naturally grown and we chose to go this route because certified naturally grown is very popular on the East Coast um, and is slowly kind of migrating into the West Coast. And we felt that for our small scale, that organic certification really was just a beast that I, I didn't really feel comfortable tackling alone. Um, it costs an incredible amount of money to be organic, certified organic. Um, the checks and balances in the certification um, are not as good as certified naturally grown. Um, also, certified naturally grown really promotes farm to farm interaction. So every year I have an annual farm tour essentially that um, makes sure that we are doing what we're saying we're doing. We're not using chemicals, we're not using sprays, we're not tilling, we're doing all the things that we're saying we're doing. And there is somebody who physically comes, who's certified, um, naturally grown as well. They come to the farm and they make sure they walk around everything and they check things out and they make sure that we're actually doing what we're saying. So um, we are the first farm in the state of Nevada to be certified naturally grown, which is really exciting for us. Um, has posed a few challenges, but we're getting through those challenges and we're really, really excited and hope that other farms, whether they're vegetable farms, fruit farms, or flower farms, will begin to implement that um, natural grown certification. So really excited for that um, and maintaining that certification. The reason why we chose to do the certification is so that we could build trust with our clients. Um, some farms will say that they're organic and they're still using chemicals. Um, it's just another way of building that trust and building that foundational uh, structure of our business. And we really liked the the philosophies of certification with naturally grown. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is that we do cover crop and that's part of our regenerative and restorative practice. Um, right now, as you'll see here in a moment, I do have um, almost an entire row in cover crop. We're getting it ready and prepared for planting peonies in it. And uh, the cover crop does wonders. It, it makes sure that the soil is not bare. It uh, puts roots into the ground so that all the microbes and the bugs underneath have something to eat. Um, it also pulls up minerals from deep in the soil and brings them to the surface of the, of the ground. So um, we are cover cropping all year long. Um, and that has been a really exciting um, venture into our business as well. So, okay, I'm gonna turn you around and show you now where the flowers are. This is the main growing area of Petals and Pages Flower Farm for now. Um, coming into 2023 season, we will be doubling our space and we have the capacity to triple our space on our property. More to come on that in, in a bit. Um, this main growing area from um, this area where this fence is over to right in front of the high tunnel, this space is measured 100 feet by 25 feet. So we have five four foot beds in here with 18 inch walkways. So it's a very tight squeeze uh, because we are limited on our space and have been since we started. We had to uh, make our walkways really, really small. And actually this walkway was even smaller, but we've since moved our fence back. Um, here is the cover crop that I was talking about. So this is a mixture of vetch, rye, clover, and peas. And there's actually two different cover crops here. And you can kind of see the difference here. This is the original cover crop that has um, some grasses in it. And this is cover crop that has more clover in it. And so this is about Oh, two weeks old, I think. Um, and this goes the entire length of the bed. We will be planting peonies in this bed here. So 100 feet of peonies. Um, we got a little bit of a late start with the peonies simply because I didn't know how well they would grow in our um, climate. And I didn't want to waste all that money on a plant that may not do very well. But I have seen, as you saw earlier, they do pretty well here in this climate. We have not had a successful um, harvest off of them because it's still a very new um, plant for us. 
That is Indigo, which I'm really excited about, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later in the interview with Deborah. Um, but we are growing our own Indigo plant to dye paper. So I'll be harvesting that in another probably week or so. So one of our goals here at Petals and Pages is to implement more and more perennial crops as we age so, and as we grow as well. So as we grow and scale our business, we want to implement more and more uh, perennial crops and biennial crops, things that are harder to grow, that take more time to grow um, and take more space. So this original space of 100 by 20 feet I'm sorry, 100 by 25, will eventually all be in perennials. These little guys right here that you just saw are foxglove. Uh, I would like to extend that actually quite a bit more in the coming years, but for now, the foxglove is looking really good. So a lot of people ask why we have these posts. As most of the growers know, when you're... Um, Growing in a tight space, you really have to maintain walkways, which I've done a poor job here. You can see the walkway is completely hidden. <laughs> uh, but these poles are placed every 10 feet. Let's see if I can get one closer. There we go. These poles are placed every 10 feet or so, and then we can tie a string or um, netting to them to corral the, the crops and plants so that they um, don't fall over in the wind. So that helps uh, a tremendous amount. Um, it also keeps the walkways much more tidy than this area that we're walking in right now. <laughs> and we put tennis balls on top of them, as you can see, so that when I'm harvesting and I have my farm hat on, I don't smack myself in the face. I have done that many times and I've had many um, goose eggs on my forehead and the side of my heads before. Well, I'm just tired of that now. So um, here are some really beautiful tuberose growing. Um, this is a newly implemented flower into our growing space. I will be bringing more tuberose into this space. I only have about a 10 foot area of them right now. This final row is all in dahlias, which has been quite amazing. Um, you can see here, which um, I need to get out here actually and put more on, but we implement a lot of the Oregonza bags for the protection of our dahlias. And most of that is because we do have pretty high pressure of grasshoppers and leaf cutter bees that will then destroy the petals of the flowers. As you can see here, although she is beautiful, this is peaches and cream, you can see the tiny eaten bits of some of these petals. And so um, by implementing these bags, these Oregonza bags, we don't have to spray, we don't have to kill the pest, we kind of just live with the pest. Um, these are three 25-foot beds um, that are either in perennial, vining, or vegetable productions, aside from the Cosmo area. I planted um, vegetables in this area and they didn't come up, so I just threw in some seed at the last minute, so I wasn't wasting water. But um, So we have some hookara growing over here. We've got some mint over in the back. We've got climbing um, Virginia creeper for the really wonderful um, vine for wreath making. So we will, in another couple weeks, harvest all that and start making our wreath bases. And then we've got some vegetables and herbs over at the end of those. Um, this bed will eventually be peony as well. So trying to move more into the perennial growing section um, in this main area. So that is it for our main growing area. Let's move over to our high tunnel. Okay, so our high tunnel is um, 14 by 50 feet. It is just big enough for three beds to be um, implemented inside of it. We actually got our um, high tunnel through an NRCS grant that um, I believe every state puts on. Um, the state of Nevada um, really tries to mitigate soil erosion 
um, and wants you to grow things all year long. And so that's why we applied for the grant with NRCS. Uh, we have really enjoyed growing in the high tunnel, um, but it's taken some uh, learning to figure out what prefers the high tunnel and what doesn't. So um, I'll turn you around and you can see what that looks like. All right, so here is our high tunnel. Again, there are three 50-foot beds, as you can see here. So we have zinnias growing all along here. We have dahlias in the center, and we have a mixture on this far row here. We have realized that Celosia does not really love the high tunnel. Uh, we have cut off a few times on that one, but um, it hasn't grown like it usually does or lengthened like it usually does. Marigolds really love the high tunnel. They like the heat um, and they grow really exceptional in the high tunnel. This is a different view. But this has been a really fantastic addition to our farm. We will get another one of these um, next year for our 2023 growing season at the end of the growing season. So this has been really fantastic. Um, NRCS is really great to work with. We are going to get another one through NRCS to um, expand on our growing. It, it probably um, adds another three to four weeks of our growing season on either end. So we get things faster in the spring and we have things longer in the fall. We actually are coming up on our first frost of the year, um, probably in another week or so, maybe two weeks. And we will have flowers in here until probably Thanksgiving. We do not heat our high tunnel. Um, we think that's an incredible amount of energy and we don't really think that um, it's great for our growing season and our growing climate. So we do not heat our high tunnel. Um, but we have a lot of sun here, so the high tunnel stays warm for a very long time. So that is the high tunnel. Okay, folks, so we are in the back corner of our property and it looks really messy and overgrown um, and unattended and neglected, but it's actually not. So um, seven years ago when we bought this property, this entire area was covered in puncture vine. Puncture vine is also referred to as goat head vine. Um, the seeds are incredibly sharp and if you step on it, it will bring you to your knees. It is sharp, it is pokey, it is brutal, and it's near impossible to get rid of. What you have to do is you have to hand cut each and every single vine. Um, and this whole whole area was covered in puncture vine. Over the last few years, we have um, tried to eradicate as much of the puncture vine manually as possible. And then we have seeded with um, native grasses. So this is all native grasses, cover crop, and alfalfa. There's a few weeds in there too, but um, overall, this is really fantastic. So um, what we've tried to do here is just try to have some sort of soil biology. Um, because before it was just native soil and puncture vine and there was really no life in the soil. And so by um, doing alfalfa and native grasses, it's really brought in a lot of um, bugs and microbes and even fungi. Um, so it's been really fantastic. This eventually will all be flowers um, when we um, build out to our full capacity in the next few years. So I'm looking forward to having all this in flowers. I bring you back here actually, not to really show you that necessarily, but really to talk a little bit about Nevada's watering laws. And I won't go into boring detail of it, but essentially Nevada is unique in not only are we dry and we have very, very, very limited water, but our laws are really strict, rightfully so. Uh, we don't want to waste the water that we do get. And so um, in the state of Nevada, it is illegal to grow for production without having agricultural water rights linked to your property. And so we have agricultural water rights on our property um, that come from our river, Truckee River. It comes from Lake Tahoe and it flows through Reno and all through Fernley and then it runs up to Pyramid Lake. And we get a certain amount of water. We, I mean the city of Fernley, gets a certain amount of water. It goes into our canals and then we flood irrigate our property. 
And for those of you who are not familiar with flood irrigation, you have a ditch on your property and the water rushes onto your property and floods out your crop. And this whole area where all the grasses and everything are is purely flood irrigated. And over a matter of time, we will um, use the flood irrigation and probably put it in um, big barrels or big bins um, to hold the water. Um, so that we have a little bit more control over the watering situation because flooding water can be very, very volatile or very, very slow. You never really know the flow of water until it's on your property. So it can very easily wipe out um, a flower row or it could trickle in and not even water at all. So we have decided to hook up to our local municipal water, our city of Fernley water, and that will be happening over winter. And so we're looking forward to that. That is why we are able to scale up. If we were still watering um, on our well and using flood irrigation, we would have to stay the size we are now, probably indefinitely, um, simply because the conservation of water is so prevalent here in Nevada. Um, and so I brought you back here to show you um, really quick the system that we use for flood irrigating. Okay, so this is our gate for flood irrigation. Some of you are very familiar with this type of watering and others are not. If you are a more urban farmer, you're not going to be familiar with this. You probably are hooked up to a municipal water source. Um, for large farmers or alfalfa fields or um, large crop fields, you're probably very used to this. Essentially, the now this is on the back corner of our property. This is our property, our neighbor's property, neighbor's property, and neighbor's property, and we share this little corner where we all get water. And uh, the water from the Truckee River goes into our canal in Fernley, and then all these ditches, this little ditch right here that you can see, um, flows. And this is our gate. We lift the sky up, and the water rushes through here, goes over there, and completely floods out this area. When I say flood out, um, it can be anywhere between two feet deep, well, maybe even three to just a few inches deep. It really depends on the slope of your property. Um, so we will be continuing to implement this watering system on our property, uh, but we also are going to be hooking up to municipal water. And what that will allow us to do is um, hook up our drip irrigation to the watering system from the municipal water and the flood irrigation will just be supplemental water rather than a water source that we rely on um, on a weekly basis. Um, it is very uh, unreliable in the sense of all of the neighbors, which you just saw, we share that one corner. Um, all of the neighbors rely on this water, but we all have to agree on when we water. And our neighbors don't grow anything for production. And so we are the only one growing for production. And so when we need water in March or April, nobody else wants to water. And so what we have found is that just hooking up to city water seems to be much more in our control. Therefore, we would be able to water more flowers. So in by 2024, this entire section will be in full production of flowers. And Okay, so the last thing I wanted to show you before I wrap this tour up is our water catching system. So we have this really great um, roof and you can see we have the system over there in the corner as well. Um, but we're going to stick to this one because it's closer. <laughs> so um, essentially we catch water. So these are two 50 gallon barrels, plastic barrels that were once blue. We've painted white for aesthetic um, looks. Um, essentially what happens is that the water from our very little rain or snow melt off runs down the roof, goes into our gutter, is filtered through this pipe that runs then into this first barrel. Once that first barrel reaches a certain height, which you can see is about halfway through, it spills into this barrel. And once both of those barrels are filled up, it spills out underneath the ground and goes over here. And this is the overflow. So this section is slightly neglected. It's my little garden um, of 
some rare roses and some grapes and blackberries, which haven't done very well simply because I have been totally neglecting this area. But eventually this will be a really well-established area. And the overflow of water just comes right out of that pipe and then it would flood this area out, similar to flooding in the back area of our property. Um, but it's from rainwater. And so once the rainwater has flooded out and it stopped and it stopped filling up, everything that is left in the bottom two of these bins, we then can pump out into buckets and hand water. Um, this system has been put in place. We've had a water catching system in place for a few years now and it works really really well uh, we have just recently upgraded to 50 gallon barrels because before we were at 20 gallon gallon barrels and so we realized that uh, we lost a lot of water uh, with just the 20 gallon barrels so we have doubled our size or actually more than that and um, have been able to already catch some water this year so it's been really fantastic all right, friends, I think that's it for our farm tour. Thank you so much for following along on our Petals and Pages flower farm tour in Fernley, Nevada. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody else's tour and looking forward to doing the interview with Deborah Princing. Well, this is part two of our special episode with uh, Trisha Starkey of Petals and Pages. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm great. It's good to do this sort of live interview that it follows this magnificent and really detailed tour that you shared of uh, your growing area and all your processes. I know people are going to eat that up. So uh, thanks for taking the time to do that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, give us, I want to ask you a couple things because we don't have a ton of time thanks to the time restrictions of Instagram uh, live. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about your design business and your path to flowers and your future plans. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, who you sell your flowers to and, and uh, I know you've been, you kind of, it seems like you're doing everything and then maybe now you're going to do a little course correcting or fine tuning to get more focused on specific markets. So let's talk a little bit about where you sell your flowers and who are your customers. Sure, sure, Deborah. So um, I sell my flowers to wedding florists first um, this year we took a break on our floristry, um, side of our business, um, and really focused on getting our flowers to the florists here in the Reno Tahoe area. So they're our number one customer. Um, after that, it's followed up with farmer's markets, boutique shops in Reno, um, and our floral subscri subscribers, which we did a Dahlia subscriber or a subscription, sorry, in September. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So in terms of ge a geographic region, it, Reno is about 35 miles from you. That's a big market. But how far away is Tahoe? It's about an hour, give and take a little bit of time, depending on um, the traffic, because uh, Tahoe is like a one lane road all around the lake. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that, but that's like a hot destination for weddings, right? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Do you find yourself taking flowers just to the florist and the florist makes the, the journey or, or are you going all the way up there? Yeah, it just depends sometimes. If I freelance with a fellow friend, um, then I will bring the flowers to them. But a lot of times they just come into Reno and they pick up the uh, flowers in Reno. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's really great. Yeah. It's um, one of the fastest growing areas, I think, because people want to get out of California and they can live on the Nevada side of Lake Tahoe, I hear. We have friends who've done that. Yes. Yes. Less taxes, less rules. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we made that point. Um, so uh, you said that in an email you sent to me that you're kind of shifting to focus more on your design work. So I'd love to hear about that. And it sounds like the freelancing is kind of a way to, to try out, you know, yeah. other or learn from other florists or bring your skills to other, other um, design studios. Mm -hmm, for sure. So um, I have always done um, a few weddings here and there and um, also freelanced with fellow um, florists as well. And um, the design aspect of my business brings in the creativity that really sparks a lot of um, passion within me. And so um, I've always wanted to do a little bit more and I was going to do more last year and then I got sick and now I'm better, which is mm. great. 
Um, and so next year, we are going to focus more on our design work. Um, I think we've honed in our farming abilities um, and it's taken some time, but we're there. <laughs> well, I think it's taken some time because there aren't a lot of rule books or guidebooks for high desert um, growing conditions. So a lot of it you've had to do sort of on your own is to trial and error, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's definitely like fundamentals that you can learn from other growing areas, but overall it's very trial and error. We are mm -hmm. a very um, challenging climate that not many people grow in. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And yet it's fast growing in population and there's a clearly an increased awareness that you can have local flowers and maybe it's, it started with lo the local food scene. I'm not sure, but uh, it seems like you, you have a lot of customers who want your flowers now and that's, I yeah. don't know, is that kind of a new thing for the region? Um, I think so. It's still slow. Um, mm -hmm. We're, Trends tend to follow San Francisco and LA about three to four years behind, mm -hmm. um, even though we're close to them. And so mm -hmm. um, the slow food movement has really taken off in the last couple of years. And so I think that the slow flowers movement will follow suit. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of our job as farmers have been to educate our consumer most, yeah. most um, just because the vast majority is import flowers and flowers um, that are covered in, you know, all sorts of yucky stuff. Yeah. So it's been a huge task of um, for us to train or teach. <laughs> mm -hmm. And when you're talking about customers, it's actually, you're in a unique situation because you have two types of customers. You have the, the florists that are, yes, they're peers and maybe one could call them competitors, but it sounds like they view you as a important source of flowers and then you've got the consumer direct consumer customer and so it's like you're having to adapt to those two different ways people consume flowers and maybe what they're asking you for yeah absolutely um the florists uh there's a lot of training there but i've with freelancing and talking with them, um, they know that they can come to me and find all the delicate, intricate things they can't get at the wholesaler. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. phenomenal. That's yeah. great. So how are you going to um, uh, build your wedding florist business? Is it mainly um, you're getting things, uh, clients word of mouth, or are you doing a lot of marketing? Um, right now I'm in the middle of a complete overhaul of my website and a rebranding. I just did a really large, um, photo shoot and styled shoot and incorporated multiple models and multiple local vendors. So oh, that's uh, wonderful. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm waiting on some, uh, for the, uh, photos and then I'll be able to share and implement on my website. Um, so we are definitely doing an overhaul there and we'll be doing some marketing as well, but a lot of it is is just going to be word of mouth and I'll be reaching out to um, planners and event coordinators. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once I have that presence of um, some of the design work that I can do, because right now you go to my website and there's not a whole lot of my design work on the website. It's really focused on the farming aspects. Yeah. Of everything. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, I also, I'm thinking if you have a style, sh you've done shoots, styled shoots with photography, and then you get one season under your belt, you'll have so many examples yeah. to show from small to large weddings. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, in the email that you sent me, I was also in, um, in, impressed on your comment that you have to grow differently if you're going to grow for your own wedding bu design business too. So that is that why you're adding more peonies and that sort of thing? Yes, absolutely. Adding more of the, uh, that, you know, peonies are amazing. Everybody loves peonies. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can maybe get four weeks out of them, right? <laughs> yeah, that's probably about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, trying to focus on the delicates and the things that are really hard to ship or nearly impossible to ship. Mm -hmm. Some of the really um, rare types of flowers, um, the garden roses that you, you know, are hard to find. Really trying to focus on those crops rather than, you know, sunflowers that a lot of people can grow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're also trying to shift um, a good portion of our business to perennial growing rather than just annual growing too. Yeah. So. You mentioned that in the, uh, in the video and it's, I mean, it makes so much sense. It's kind of, you know, you, it's dependent on having land that you don't have to move. So people who are leasing don't quite have that luxury, but 
it seems like your permanent farm, you're going to put down roots of more perennials. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, I just want to ask you, when you mentioned the rebranding, you're, you're going to keep the name Petals and Pages, right? Yeah. Okay, so you have to tell us about the name and how that, how, how that came to be and, and how, how did you get into flowers in the first place? Uh, sure. So uh, I got into flowers um, about five years ago. Um, I was working in the corporate world, in the medical world, actually. And um, I really enjoy the medical world, but it just wasn't really for me. It didn't fill me, my soul. And um, I took a break from that world and I started meditating of all things. I'm not a meditator. My brain goes wild all the time. I can't quiet my brain. <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) and so I started to meditate and started to do that practice and the word flowers kind of just kept coming to me and I didn't know what it meant um I Mm. sat on it for about four or five months Mm. and I stumbled upon Aaron Benzacane Mm. with Mm -hmm. Moret and that's kind of what opened my opened the door to flowers in general and then I started to look at flowers that I could grow in the high desert and took 2019 to really just play around with flowers. Um, and so you had, you had the acreage, enough acreage to do that mm-hmm. where you were already living, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you bought this property, I, I knew I wanted to do something in the agricultural world, really thought I was going to grow food. And then it just shifted to flowers. <laughs> I, I understand. Yeah. But so, uh, 1.15 acres is like, probably enough for you for quite a while. Yeah, I think so. Right now we're only growing on a little bit less than a quarter of an acre mm-hmm. and uh, have the growing capacity of about triple that. Yeah. So um, we are slowly growing. We don't want to grow too fast because it's just me. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you dabbled in 2019 and then what happened when COVID arrived? <laughs> you oh, went all right. in? Uh, COVID, you know, I actually think COVID was pretty good for us. People, um, you know, I weren't, wasn't doing weddings and, uh, people really wanted to gift flowers to people. Um, and so I did subscriptions and I did home deliveries and, um, I was delivering to the co-op, which is our grocery store. And it was really, really, it didn't really affect me so much in a negative way, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I guess now you're in your what fourth season? Mm-hmm. We're in our fourth season. Yeah, wow. so that's been awesome. Wild. <laughs> so um, we, you hinted at the fact that you ha- were growing indigo for a reason, and I would love to hear. Um, I'd just love to have you share that story as part of kind of the looking to the future part, in addition to your branding, rebranding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Petals and Pages, and obviously the petals part is very obvious flower petals. Uh, But the other half of me is I love books and I love to read. And that's where the pages came through. Mm. And um, I've always had it since 2019. I started Mm -hmm. with that. But for years, I've been wanting to make a more tangible item to represent that um, that word. And then I went to the Slow Flower Summit in um, June. It was, gosh, it seems like forever ago. I know, right? It was fun (laughs) to finally meet in person. Yeah, I know. Um, and I was sitting in the crowd watching Natalia with uh, Bat Press, um, Bat Press People. Bat, I think it is. Yeah. Bat is it Press. Bat Flower Press? Bat maybe, Flower Press? Yeah, maybe yeah. it's that. And this light bulb just went off. And I thought, oh my God, I've just found, I've just witnessed the tangible part of my business. And so I came home and I was kind of embarrassed to tell my husband that, oh, I have yet another idea. (laughs) (laughs) And so I quietly, when he was at work, started making paper with our um, shredded up Rayleigh's bags, our grocery store bags. And uh, that part of my business have just slowly, slowly started to grow. We have yet to sell any paper, um, but I'm trying to find different plants and different things to dye the paper. So I made paper that is actually, I'll show you um, this pink color. Oh, that's so pretty. It's like a blush. It's like a perfect blush. It is. This is avocado pits that dyed this paper. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, this guy is kind of more of a cream color. Mm -hmm. It's see on this camera, but this is um, Coreopsis, which is a flower. Wow. Wow. Um, And then, so we're growing indigo, the actual um, plant of indigo, because I want to dye 
um, blue, blue yeah. paper. Wow. So, so you, just from that demo at the Slow Flower Summit at Stone Barn Center with this artist, Natalia, that we both refer to, um, and I'll put a link to um, her information in our show notes so people can check her out. Just from that, like, 45 minutes, you you just had this like exploding idea and now you've have you done online courses or just done a lot of reading or experimentation no you know natalia was really fantastic in sharing her craft and showing what she did and when you have that hands-on i'm really a hands-on learner Mm -hmm. and i immediately knew that i was going to do something with it and so when i came home i just started to practice and and you know, try to find different, different uh, materials. I use recycled paper, white paper, um, brown paper, bag paper. I've tried um, plant uh, materials. So like the actual flower stems, I ground up in a blender and it didn't turn out as great, but Hey, you know, I got to <laughs> try. try. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, so I'm just trying. And to- you had, you had, did you have to buy a paper frame with the screen or had you made one? I bought one um, because um, remember I I was being quiet with my husband. I didn't <laughs> <want> to know, <laughs> so I yeah. ended up buying one. But eventually, we'll we'll actually make um, larger decals in order to make bigger pieces of paper. Because the ones that you showed are look like they'd be the perfect size for I don't know a menu at a at a wedding or at a shower. I mean, is that how you envision um, using them? Yeah, I do. I definitely envision them, um, you know, naturally as our farm um, goes to rest during the winter, it will allow me time to play around with this and try to figure out what I really want to do with it and how Mm. I want to live in it. But what I see is um, wedding invitations, wedding menus, um, envelopes, and maybe even greeting cards, thank you cards for our wedding attendees. So, yeah, yeah. it's, that's, you, you mentioned something too, that I hadn't thought of, but it, it's almost like the counter cyclical uh, business to growing and wedding season, at least in Nevada, you have kind of a, a lot of downtime in the winter, right? Yeah, I do. I do. It's like a full six, maybe seven months, really. I mean, I'm doing things, I'm planting things outside, but there are no flowers. So Right, right. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to see what happens with this. And I, when, I, when you first joined Slow Flowers and I saw Petals and Pages, of course, because I come out of publishing and the media, I was just assumed you were a book author of some kind and that, you know, you or you had somehow, I don't know, That's the closest assumption I could come up with. Mm -hmm. But uh, the fact that you're a book lover and that you, you like probably don't read on a, on a Kindle. You probably want to hold the book in your hand and touch that page. Right. I actually have um, a lot of old books. I collect old books. So like books that are from like, you know, 1860s, 1850s. That's just uh, my old world side. Um, And so, yeah, it was just, Uh. Part of me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I know you shared some photos of your your designs and your flowers that you're growing. So we'll uh, thank you for that, and we'll put those in the show notes when this um, appears at, as a podcast, which you can find at slowflowerspodcast.com. But first, we'll uh, have the we'll we'll push this out to all of our video channels, and then uh, the next week we'll have the podcast for people who want to listen to it the old fashioned way. You know, downloaded. Yeah. Um, This has been so much fun. I just love what you're doing. I'm so inspired by the fact that you found this extension for your business. And I just think that we'll have to do this again when when you get that in place. We'll we'll do a a part two so people can see what you're what you're doing uh, on that end. Yeah, that would be great. And thank you so much, Deborah, for this interview. It's been a pleasure. Oh, I wish we had more time, but We t- the, we have that nice long video and everyone will get their answers <laughs> answers to their questions in that. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Trisha. Yeah, thank you, Deborah. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
Trisha and I ran out of time, but I wanted to share one of her future goals that she mentioned to me. She says, in 2024, we will have a beautiful space to welcome customers to our farm for a more hands-on learning experience. We want to help others grow on small-scale farms and become profitable farms, too. We also would like to host workshops and hold farm-to-table dinners with local food and flowers. Well, that's something to look forward to. And by the way, Tricia, if you're still looking for a D name for your fourth compost bin, I suggest you name it Deborah. okay? All right. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Details Flowers Software, a platform specifically designed to help florists and designers do more and earn more. With an elegant and easy-to-use system, Details is here to improve profitability, productivity, and organization for floral businesses of all shapes and sizes. Grow your bottom line through professional proposals and confident pricing with Details All-in-One platform. All friends of our podcast will receive a seven-day free trial. Just visit Details Flowers Software at DetailsFlowers.com. Well, October as Membership Appreciation Month continues, and you're invited to get involved. You can find the full schedule of our Tuesday Instagram live sessions with me and our Thursday Zoom lunches with Tonali Gruder, our Membership and Community Engagement Manager, and I'll put those in our show notes today. And here's a challenge to you, listeners. This month, any new member who joins or any standard-level member who upgrades to premium will be included in our drawing for our perennial membership. That's a three-year membership valued at $649. Please reach out to Tonley, our membership and community engagement manager at membership at slowflowers.com with any questions. Our final thank you today goes to Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and the entire floral supply chain in California and 48 other states. The association is a leader in bringing fresh cut flowers to the U.S. market and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of American consumers. You can learn more at cafgs.org. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor downloaded more than 900,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Show and the Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more Slow Flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.